Good morning. Good morning. All right. Anybody excited about some word today? Yeah, two of you, that's good. That's good. Praise God. At least both of you showed up. We're good. All right, all right. Let's let's lean in for a minute. Lean in. Lean in. Lean in. And let's stand up to the reading of God's word. Morning. The readings from John chapter 17, verse 3 through 22, the message. And this is the real and eternal life, that they know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I glorified you on earth by completing down to the last detail what you assigned me to do. And now, Father, glorify me with your very own splendor the very splendor I had in your presence before there was a world. Yes, Lord. I spelled out your character in detail to the men and women you gave me. They were yours in the first place. Then you gave them to me, and they have now done what you said. They know now beyond the shadow of a doubt that everything you gave me is firsthand from you. For the message you gave me, I gave them. And they took it and were convinced that I came from you. They believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the God-rejecting world, but for those you gave me, for they are yours by right. Everything mine is yours and yours mine, and my life is on display in them, for I'm no longer going to be visible in the world. They'll continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father, Guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me, so they can be one heart and mind, as we are one heart and mind. As long as I was with them, I guarded them in the pursuit of the life you gave through me. I even posted a night watch. And not one of them got away except for the rebel bent on destruction, the exception that proved the rule of Scripture. Now I'm returning to you. I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy completed in them. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it, because they didn't join the world's ways, just as I didn't join the world's ways. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes, so there'll be truth consecrated in their mission. I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us then the world might believe that you in fact sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they'll be as unified and together as we are. Amen. 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 Father, thank you for your word, God, that changes us from the inside. Thank you, God, that even now, as in the passage that we read, even now, God, even now, Jesus, you sit at the right hand of the Father and intercede for us and pray for us. Father, we receive those prayers today, and we we receive that covering, we receive that blessing today in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. We can just go home. Amen. Better. Mm. That's good. Sit down, Alice. We're not done. I like to start with a quote. Here's the quote. You ready? The life of every man is a diary in which he means to write one story and writes another. And his humblest hour is when he compares the volumes as it is with what he vowed to make it. Go lower. I think I got a word for you today, amen? We could kill this up here. I can't hear anything. So I was preparing this week. I, I really kind of felt impressed, man. I, and, and, you know, you would think I feel this way every week. But, but I felt like today I really got a word for you today. So I want you to really kind of press in. Because, listen, I know that these are hard times. Anybody going through some rough stuff? I've, I've heard quotes on, on, on Facebook how 2012 has been the hardest year. And we're only in <laughs> May, right? Right by St. June. You guys are ahead? You want, oh, you want school to be over, so everybody's saying June. Amen. So listen, there's, there's been a lot of stuff that we're going through. There's been a lot of things that we're dealing with. And I just want to, I, I believe right here in, in, first Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, what we're up to, there's something here that God wants to help us deal with all the things that we're going through. Isn't that awesome? Amen. So I want to share a message with you today titled, Good Grief. Good Grief. Some of you are too young, and the rest of you understand, right? How many of you remember the Charlie Brown, right? Charlie Brown's always going through something, right? Every day, every day, all, everything he does, he was always going through something. Things were never going right. He would always throw himself down and say, oh, good grief. Well, let's jump into 2 Corinthians. We, we left off in our study of 2 Corinthians at chapter 6. And Paul was warning us back then in, in, in 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't become partners with those that reject God. And I feel like I had to say it again because some of you might have missed it. You weren't here, so I, I wanted you to get it. Do not be unequally yoked. Don't be partners with those who reject God. See, two people can't work together if they have different destinations in mind. Amen? And so we, 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 we talked about that and, and we talked about how in this prayer that we just read, how Jesus said that we're to be in this world but not of this world, Right? And how, you know, I gave you an example of kind of a boat in the water and how the, we, we are the boat and the water is this world, right? And so the boat is to be on the water, but the water shouldn't be in the boat. Amen? And so as I was thinking about that and recapping and preparing, I, I thought about how many people and even like entire ministries get this in but not of things so twisted. 
See, we, we, we can understand that, okay, we're the boat, and the world is the water, and, and, but then rather than, than risk, too many times we want to keep the boat out of the water. Right? Now, if you keep the boat out of the water, it's true. The boat will never get flooded. If you keep the boat out of the water, it will never have any issues. It'll never get hit by a storm. It'll never get um, scraped. It'll never get worn down. It'll never need patching. It'll never need repairs, right? You can keep the boat up on a... Guys, can you just turn these off completely? Okay. okay we, we can just, you can keep the boat in, in, you know, up in the air in one of those hangars hanging and, and away from the water, right? And you can keep them and you can gather a bunch of boats there in one of these hangars and let's just, you know, we can just call that church. But that's not what a boat was made for. A boat was designed and created and built and formed with a purpose and that purpose involves water, right? Like, how many, would you, do you think that when people sit down to, to design and draw this boat and it has this and it has that, do you think they ever designed that that boat should not be in the water? Right? It, the boat was never intended to be hanging someplace in a building. The boat was created to be in the water, right? But if, you're on, if we're honest about it, it'd be easier at times for us to stay out of the water, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be easier as Christians to just... To go live on an island someplace? So even though we'd probably kill each other because we're our worst enemies sometimes. Amen. It's okay. But the truth is that's not what we're made for. Jesus just prayed for us. He said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but I just pray that you keep them. I pray that you keep them protected, right? Jesus prayed in the same way, God, that you, the Father, that you gave me a mission, I give them a mission. And so 2 Corinthians 6, it ends with a promise. And the promise is the Father saying, I will live in them. I'll move into them. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. And he says very clearly, so leave the corruption, leave the compromise, leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. Young people, listen to me. Don't link up with people that will pollute you. Say amen, moms and dads. Singles, don't link up with people that will pollute you. Rewind. Singles, don't link up with people that will pollute you. And then waste time in the prayer rooms with us. That's a word from the Lord for you. Jesus says, God says, I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you. You will be my sons and my daughters. Come apart from them and I will be your God. Is the promise at the end of the chapter. Amen? So, so there's a promise there that God says, I'll be a father, I'll be a protector, I'll, I'll be what you need me to be, I'll be a friend. So now we're moving into chapter 7. Turn your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you don't have it with you, you should. Paul starts chapter 7 with this. 
He says in verse 1, since we have these promises, remember he's, he's talking about what he just finished saying at the end of chapter 6, right? We have this promise that God says, if you don't link up with people that will pollute you, if you don't get unequally yoked, if you just serve, if you just come after me, I'll be your God, I'll move into you, I'll live in you, I'll be your God, I'll be your Father. So he, he says in, in, in 7, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let me give it to you in the message. With promises like this to pull us on, dear friends, let's make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts. Let's make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts. What I, what I say about if you can be distracted, you can be deceived, you can be destroyed. We just added to it. Amen. See, the idea is this, that we have a promise that God would dwell in us, that he would be our God, that he would be to us a father. And so from us, we should remove from us whatever is offensive in his sight so that we can become perfectly holy. Say holy. Now, that's a tough point for many people. Amen. Whenever we read something about us being holy, about how God calls us to be holy, about how God sees us perfect and righteous. Right there, some, many people just shut down, tune off, tune, tune out. We say, well, definitely you're not talking about me. I definitely, I know you're not talking about me. I'm far from perfect. Anybody feel that way? I couldn't find holy with a GPS. Anybody? Now listen to me. Let, me. let me just be clear what the Word says here. I agree, I believe, and I'm convinced. The Word clearly says that there is nothing that you and I can do to earn the love of God. Did you, did you get that? There's nothing that you can do to earn the love of God. You can't be good enough. You can't be holy enough. You can't hand out enough tracts. You can't annoy enough non-Christian people. With your Christian talk, you, you cannot earn or, you know, witness enough. You can't do enough to earn salvation. But Paul is clearly calling us here to do something. Say something. He, he says, since God promises to be all of that for us, let's be something for him. You with me? Lean in. So now the legalistic church would say this. Listen, 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 don't be distracted. The legalistic church would say this, okay, then uh, in our life with no PG movies, no radio, we have to do this, we can't do that, we have to do more of this, we have to do more of that, we need six hours of prayer on Sunday, we need two hours of this, we need to fast three times a week, we, and women don't shave your legs because men will find you attractive, and, and you've got to preach the gospel to everyone you meet, no matter what you're talking about. Amen? The, the, the legalistic will take you, boy, to another step. Somebody go out there and say, man, it was hot. Well, it's going to be hotter in hell. Have you accepted Jesus? You ever met people like that? <laughs> Woo, what a cool breeze there is today. Well, there's not going to be no cool breeze where you're going unless you turn from your wicked ways and serve Jesus. 
Now, on the other end, the radical grace liberals, they'll tell you, yo, dude, Jesus paid it all, man. Just be easy. We don't have to do nothing but love him, yo. Right? You can't be good enough anyway, so don't even try. <laughs> light up, light up. <laughs> now listen, listen. I don't want to steer you in any one of those directions. But I think we have to find a place somewhere in that line that works for us. And more importantly, that works for God. Okay? And that's more important because a lot of times we'll find a place somewhere in there and we say, well, this works for me. Well, who cares if it works for you if it's not working with God's word? Amen? And, and what that is is, is just that, that's, rel- you know, that's how we are in this world. We say, listen, it, it, that's not God understands. That's not that bad. And God, God accepts this and this. I love them so we can have sex. Who cares? You know, it's good. It's all good. Or, or, and you go on and on and all the whatever little excuses that you make for ourselves, right? No. We have to find a place that works for us and a place, more importantly, that works for God. A place that God accepts. So Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians, let's make a clean break with everything that defiles and everything that distracts both within or without. Watch this. Let's make our lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. So Paul is introducing again that our bodies are temples for the worship of God, right? So that means that hypocritical, fake Sunday church Christianity, that's not going to work. Say amen. Paul is definitely talking about action. He's talking about actually doing something about who we are and how we act, right? It's more than just coming to church. It's really about becoming a church, right? That's something that Christians, we say it all the time. Oh, it's not about coming to church. It's about being the church. And you can get a lot of amens and people excited. But, like, that's real. It's not about just coming to church. It's about becoming the church, becoming an actual temple. Amen? Look, he says, let's make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. Now think about this. If we're going to make our lives temples, that means if, if we compare it, in the Old Testament, people used to come to the temple to worship God. You follow? People would come to the temple to worship God. So now, if we're the temple in the New Testament, there is no more of that temple. This is the temple of God. And Paul says, make our bodies fit and holy temples for the worship of God. That means people should be able to come to us at any part of our lives and from there worship God. Oh, y'all didn't hear that one. Come on, stay with me real quick. That means that people should be able to get a revelation from God from the temple of you. Oh, come on, I'm preaching better than you're getting it. People should get a revelation from God at the temple of you. Now, be very careful. I'm not talking some new age where you are God and God is you. None of that nonsense. Without God, you're nothing. You're just a Puerto Rican. That's it. 
Amen. And that's great on Puerto Rican Day Parade. That's wonderful. But other than that, no vale nada. Amen. So, but, but with God is in us, we become this temple. That means, listen, people, when people come to us, it should be as if they came to the temple in the Old Testament. Whoa. This is heavy. I'm going to walk lower. This is heavy. No, really, really. If you really get this, this is crazy. That means when people come to us, they're coming to the temple of God. That means when they come to us, they should find kindness. They should find love. Uh Uh-oh, half of us got to turn things around. (laughs) That means they, they should come to us and find joy. Oh, boy, that's the rest of the church. They should come to us, and when they come to us, they should find peace. Even if we're going through things. That's crazy right there. That is radical Christianity. You mean, well, wait a minute. Sometimes I'm in my funk. Sometimes I'm going through things. Sometimes I'm in a storm. Anybody? Right? How come, how come the biggest complainers I've ever met were Christians? I got people at my job that don't have the love of God nowhere near them. They don't complain half as much as the ones that are Christians. How come? What kind of testimony is that? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when people come to the temple, it can never be closed. Good grief. You can say, but good grief, sometimes I need a storm. Sometimes I need a break. I'm I'm going through some things. Sometimes I just need to be left alone, and, and that might be true. But listen, I am convinced in my own life and through my own experiences that God will put two Christians in a storm just to show somebody else how to act when they're in a storm. This is some crazy theology, I understand. You can call that storm by any name. Sometimes God will put two Christians in a storm just to show somebody else how to act while they're in the storm. Call that storm sickness. Call that storm unemployment. Call that storm broke as a joke. (laughs) You say, wait a minute, sometimes God will allow me to be in a storm? Yes, anybody can testify? Or, 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 or did we get to the point where we're so holy, we're not us? You're in the wrong church. Sometimes God will put us in a storm so that we can show somebody else how to act. Amen? So, so people should, come, should be able to get a revelation of God in the middle of the storm at the temple of you. This is crazy. Somebody say good grief. Good grief. So Paul drops that on them, and then he goes on to tell them about how happy he was when he heard about the good things that they were doing and how they've turned some things around since the last time he spoke to them, right? And, it, and if you read on there in 2 Corinthians 7, he tells them again about all the hard times he's had to go through, about all the fighting and all the abuse he's had to take. 
And, and, but, but the awesome thing is that Paul isn't complaining. Paul is saying, listen, it, it doesn't matter, man. They've tried to kill me a bunch of times. They've threw me in jail. They've locked me up. They've thrown, I've had to escape out of back door windows because people were coming to kill me. I've been caught and, and left for dead. And he says, but I don't care, man. What matters to me is that you get the message. Paul isn't complaining. He's saying, nothing matters. I'm still, you can come to the temple and you're going to get a revelation from God because the God that's in me, amen, always has a word for you. So, so he's telling them, you know, despite all of that, he says, but he, he puts in there in, in chapter 7, he says, but God comforts the downcast. Oh, man. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God comforts the downcast. And so, and so he says, God comforted him by sending him Titus with the reports from his church. See, you got to understand, Paul loves his church. I, and I, I feel Paul in this. I know. Listen, when I'm hearing that there's bad things going on, that people are hurting, the things, I, it hurts me as, as, as a pastor. When I hear that people are doing awesome things, when I read testimonies and I see that, that people are ministering and their bodies growing, and I get so excited. I, I, I love it. I understand how Paul feels here. Nothing else matters. And so Paul is saying when he got those reports, he's so excited and, and God comforted him. He tells us there in verse 8, check it out. He tells us there in verse 8, he said, I felt bad about writing that first letter to you. That's the letter where he was letting them have it. He said, listen, you guys are in sexual sin. You guys got this going on. You got this going on. In leadership, you guys are sleeping with this. And, 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 and nobody even cared. He went off. Remember when we first did 1 Corinthians, right? And so he says, I was even feeling bad about dropping that first letter on you. I know that I was hard. I know that I was strong on you. And I felt bad at first and regretted it, he says. But now I don't regret it because... I see that though it grieved you, you weren't grieved for long. Verse 9. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Say good grief. See, verse 10, watch this. For godly grief, good grief, produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. The message puts it this way. Distress, pain that drives us to God does just that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. That's good grief. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets, and they end up on a deathbed of regrets. You ever known people? Right? You go through things, and, and you go through some of the things that they've gone through. They go through some things, and maybe you, and, but there's a difference, right? We go through things, and for some of us, we press into God more. And for some of us, we go through things, and we move away from God. We say, ah, forget it. And the word clearly says those that press in, they, they, it's a regret that leads them to God. It presses them to God and they, they live with no regrets. Those that turn away, they end up on a deathbed of regrets. 
Listen, when we hear of how God wants us to walk right and live lives that please him, deep, deep inside we know that that's what we want. Doesn't, don't we all want that? Anybody? Like, why are we, why are we sitting here? <laughs> don't we want that? We want deep down inside, man, we want to please God. Right? We want a life that, that honor Him, even though we have a hard time in this area or, or we're doing, we struggle in this area, we keep falling here, we keep stumbling there. Any, anybody? Many times we, we hear this and, you know, we, we come to church and we know that there's some things that we're doing that we shouldn't be. Everybody look down at your Bibles and look holy. We know, you know, this week I, I said I was going to read the Word more, but I didn't. We meant to pray more this week, but the only time I prayed is when I needed God to find me that parking. The only time I prayed is when I needed God to, to help me find the thing that I lost. Oh, then I prayed again. Oh, no, that was because I needed him to, to do something with my wife. And, and, and we realized, man, the only time we prayed this week is when I wanted something. And, and listen, if you're a father or a mother, think about that as a, as a parent and a child. If your child only called you because he wanted something, if your kid only came to you when he needed something from you, wouldn't that hurt? Right? So, so we come to church sometimes and we have our moments here with God and, and sometimes we get some grief. Anybody? Anybody get grief sometimes when you come to church? Right? Because, I mean, we go in hard here. Right? Even in worship, we just go in. Even in prayer, we just go in. Sometimes we just go in so hard that we, you come to church and you thought it was just going to be a light, fun, hey, hallelujah moment. But, but you come in and you get this grief because, because you know, the word gets a hold of you and, and lets you know, wow, what you doing with this area in your life, son? And, and sometimes it just so happens that that one area that you messed around in this week, was the area that God used the worship pastor to sing about or one of the worship leaders to talk about? That happened to anybody yet? That one area that you were struggling with, that's the, what the pastor's preaching about this Sunday. And we get grief, anybody? I've had people grill me after a service. They come up to me, my husband spoke to you, right? <laughs> I said, ma'am... <laughs> I don't know who your husband is. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe God was talking to you. Maybe, maybe God knows you. Maybe God was there this week. And God knows exactly what you're going through. Maybe God wants to deal with that pain that you're not letting go of. Maybe God wants to mess in your marriage. Maybe God wants to show you some things. Listen, trust me, nobody spoke to me about you, but God knows you. And, and, and listen, I'm not trying to claim like I'm, any, I'm some, you know, these stupid shows that, that, that me, no. But, but the Word of God knows everything. And so God will know exactly what you're going through, and God will move me or move somebody or move an usher to, hey, man, how you doing? How's your wife? And you're like, oh. Why you got to talk about my wife for, man? Why you doing my heart? They're broke just from a greeting in the front for somebody asking, right? Because maybe, maybe God, I love when that happens. Maybe God knows you. Maybe, amen. Maybe God knows what you're going through and he knows the area that he wants to talk to you in. 
Maybe God wants to deal with that pain that's in your life. Side note, family, if you're in a God-worshipping, spirit-led church, listen to me, this is how you check, in case you were wondering. Sometimes you're going to sit there and feel like everyone is looking at you. You're going to sit there scared to look left or right because you just feel like nobody else in this room is going through it. It's you and they're talking right to you. And so you feel that it's all about you. Everything that's being said is about you. I love that. You know why? Because it shows you that God knows you. It shows you that God sees you. It shows you that God can grab 200 people and pick number 72 in the fourth row on the left section and have them screaming. <laughs> because God knows you. Family, the, 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 here, here's, here's, that's a test to know if you're in a God-led church. But then you also have to test if you're being God-led. Because sometimes you can sit in a God-led church and duck and weave and avoid everything. Anybody? How many people in the last 10 minutes have gotten up and left to go to the bathroom? I've gone to the store. Why would you go to the store when, when the Word of God is coming at you? What? Like, really? You need a Snapple right now? You, you wouldn't do that if you paid $9 for the movie. You make sure you get there early and had your Snapple in your bag like the rest of us do. <laughs> we ain't paying $5 for a soda. So, so, so how do you come to, to, to the temple of you, to where God is going to meet with you, and then, and then be duck and weaving? That has to, you need to check that. I'm not trying to shout nobody out, but you need to check that. If you had the urge, like, i got to go to the bathroom right now. Listen, if you have bladder issues, that's okay. I'm not shouting you out. You can, and now nobody wants to get up. You can go if you have to. It's okay. You have a condition. It's okay. You really have to go. It's okay. But think about it. Think about how come you had to go three times during the 20-minute message. Who are you hiding from? Enough said. Family, I, I want us to learn to get the grief and deal with it. Amen? Amen? Listen, I, you know, they always told me, and everything that I've read and I've learned, they said, man, that's not the way to build a church. If you get too hard on people, they're going to bounce. If you get too hard, you're not going to try. Listen, I'm not trying to attract no people. I'm trying to build the kingdom of God. I'm trying to, I'm trying to build strong people. I want to build people that, that can stand. I want to build, you know, men and women that will be a temple. A temple can't be made out of plastic. A temple got to be strong, right? The weather's going to hit it. It's going to rain on it. People are going to throw things at it. They're going to write graffiti on it. it. That's slander and gossip. Oh, that's deep. Right? A temple has to be able to take it. So, so that, I'd rather have 15, 20 of you guys, and we'll, we'll change the world, man, than, than build it real big because everybody likes to be here and be comfortable and the AC is just right and this is right and they give Starbucks coffee for free in the back and they, you know, c- come on. Right? Are we all right? You still with me? So, so I, I want you to, to learn how to take this grief 
the right way. Paul even writes in this letter, he says, I don't say this to condemn you. Grief that drives you to God, that's good grief. But there's a bad grief too. If you let grief, pain, distress, however you want to look at it, if you let it drive you away from God, you'll be full of regrets. Let me give you two quick examples and I'll close. The Apostle Peter. I mean, you know, Peter always put his foot in his mouth, right? Peter was always the gung-ho Christian. I'll do anything. I'll do, I'll be with you. Jesus said, shut up. Come on. You're going to deny me before the rooster crows three times. Never! (laughs) I'm super Christian. Peter's always putting his foot in his mouth, right? And so there, there was a time, you know, that, that exactly happened and, and they arrested Jesus and, and Peter was warming himself by a fire and, and somebody said, hey, ain't you one of those apostles that used to hang with that guy that they have in there that they're interrogating and beating right now? And he said, no, nah, man, that wasn't me. And then somebody else says, hey, aren't you part of that group that used to hang with this guy? He said, no, ma'am, we don't speak of the English. That's not me. I don't know what you're talking about. And then a third time, somebody says, wait a minute. Aren't you one of those that follow Christ, that, 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 that follow that man that they have in there? And he said, no, woman, what's wrong with you? That's not me. And right there, the rooster crowed three times, and he turned to the side, and Jesus caught his eye as he was, as he was being led away to be crucified. And it says, Peter felt it, he remembered that Jesus said, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows three times. And the word says that he went away and wept bitterly. Peter denied him three times and then saw him and caught his eye walking. Epic fail. Amen. Peter was grieved. He went out and he wept bitterly. Second example, Judas. Judas wanted a different kind of savior than Jesus came to be. Judas was looking for someone to rule with and to be a king and, and that would have money and power. And Jesus wasn't going to be that kind of savior. So Judas started making these plans. Judas started talking to people outside of his circle. Judas became unequally yoked with people that were against God. Perfect example of being unequally yoked. And one day he planned to betray Jesus. And so he made a deal, 30 pieces of silver, he would sell out Christ. And, and the day came and, and they were having a, 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 the, the last supper. You know, you guys have it in that picture. They're all sitting on one side of the table. And, and Judas dips the bread and, and Jesus tells him, listen, that thing that you're going to do, go and do it quickly. And so he excused them. And Judas went and did, it says Satan entered him. See, when we become unequally yoked, oh, this is heavy. When we become unequally yoked, we get out from the covering of God. And and even though I believe if you're a Christian, if the Spirit of God is in you, you you can't be possessed, but you can be oppressed. You can put yourself under the leadership of wickedness. And so you can step out of that covering and, and, and have something else covering you and something else leading you. And we've, we've seen it all too often, haven't we? And so later Judas would show up with a band of men and he would go right up to Jesus and kiss him. How you doing, homie? And Jesus said, you're going to betray me with a kiss? 
And he did, right? And so you know the story, you know how, how it went on. And, and the word says that he went away. His grief led him to despair. And it says that he went and he gave the, the silver back. He tried to get out of the deal. He gave the silver back to the high priest. He said, I don't, I don't want none of this. And he gave it back to him. And they said, that's not our responsibility. And so he, his despair, he went and he hung himself. Suicide. So his grief led him to death. Family, we can let our grief, worship team, you guys can come up. We can let our grief, we can let our pain, we can let our issues, we can let our insecurities even drive us away from God or, or, or pull us closer to Him. A lot of times we can let our insecurities and our pain, we can, we can allow that to to, to bring condemnation and shame. And sometimes you can sit in service and you feel like it's all about you and you feel like he's... And, and what's on your mind at the moment is saying, I just can't wait for this to be over so I can run. And never, ever, ever step foot in that church again. I go to a church that's less personal. I go to a place where nobody knows me. I go to a place where nobody can, can get in my grill about anything. Well, I just won't go to a church at all. I don't need this. Peter cried and he wept bitterly. Now, the word doesn't tell us how long it took for him to get back on his feet. We don't know what it took. Peter allowed his pain to bring him through a process. He allowed his pain to have its purpose in him. See, good grief leads to repentance. Church, if you're carrying grief today, if you're carrying pain, if you're carrying distress, if you're carrying issues, insecurities, don't let it be shame. Don't let it be condemnation. Don't let it be accusing you all the time. Listen, that's from the enemy. That's not... That's not the God that loves you, that met you here today, that's pointing you out and singling you out. That God loves you. That God says, I didn't come here today to condemn you. I came to lift you up. I came that you might have joy, that you might have peace. Listen, when God grabs you and gets all in your business during worship or gets all in your business during the Word, it's because He loves you. He's not pointing you out and saying, look, right there, that's the dirtiest person in this building. He's saying, no, look, right there, that's the one I died for. That's the one, that's the one that's drawing my heart today. Look, that one right there, the one that people don't even want to sit next to, the one that people are avoiding, the one that people keep their husbands from, that's the one that I love. That's the one that I'm drawing today. I'm, I'm ministering to that one. I'm going after that lost one that's sitting there. The rest of you keep worshiping. I'm going after that one. Amen? So, so please don't let that grief lead you away. Let it lead you to repentance. All we know about Peter is that the Word tells us that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to Peter first before the other apostles. Is that the heart of the Father? The one who denied Him three times before He was crucified? He, why, why not appear to the other ones that were maybe doing the right thing? 
Why not appear to the other ones that were maybe not denying him? But he appeared to the one that denied him three times, that caught his eye. The one as they were leading him away. And shackled and already bleeding and bloodied from the beatings that they took. As they led him away, the one that caught his eye. He said, I'm going to go and do what I got to do, but I'm coming back for you. And so he appears to that one first. See, the word says God comforts the downcast. God comforts the broken. Perhaps Peter needed some kind of restoration. Perhaps Peter needed some kind of special comfort to to get him to move on, to, to lift him up out of his funk and get him moving. God promises to do just that. And so he appears to Peter first, and Peter was able to be restored. Peter didn't continue on in shame and guilt and regret. His grief led him to repentance. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Good grief makes us take stock of our lives and realize what's important and what really matters. It allows us to draw close to God and to repent. Listen, no matter where you are today, no matter what you've done today, please, right now, please, if you, please just don't be a distraction to anybody. Just close your eyes for a moment. You might have been talking through this whole thing, but for, for this 30 seconds, would you just shut up and close your eyes for a minute? Maybe somebody next to you needs to hear this. Good grief allows us to draw close to God. How, how do we become this holy temple where people could worship at? The answer is we let our failures and our insecurities lead us to dependence on God. Lead us to repentance. If that's you, wherever you are today, trust me, nobody's going to be looking around right now. If that's you, would you just stand and say, that's, that's God, I need... I've been carrying some things. I've been carrying some things that always make me feel like I'm not good enough. That always make me feel like I I can't be. Listen, if you've ever sat there and you think that these people up here are better than you, then, then you got a bad picture. Then you've let the accuser accuse you of being dirty. Every single one of us here, if it's not for the grace of God, not one of us would, de- would be deserve to stand here. There are days when many of us have to be forced to come up here because we don't feel worthy. We don't feel good enough. But I really feel today God wants you to, God wants to get that grief deep down inside you. This could have been something you're carrying around for years and years because you went to a church once and, and, and you fell into sin and you did something and that church ridiculed you and they, and they mocked you and they told you it's all because of you and it's all because you're so bad and it's all because you're so sinful and you don't really love God and you don't really go after God. This, there could be some deep stuff rooted in there. I, I Today, God wants to break all of that. 
before you leave. And, and listen, you don't, sometimes we, we need this long therapy. Sometimes we just need a moment in God's presence and God can lift that shame and that condemnation. Receive this today. You can't be good enough. You need the grace of God. And you don't need it any more than I do. You need it just as much as I do. And that same grace could get, get inside us and allow that grief to lead us to repentance. Allow that grief, that distress, that pain, that hurt, that insecurity, we can allow that to, to lead us right to the very presence of God. I'm going to ask you to do that right now. If you're standing, let it lead you forward. Step forward, not because there's something magical up here, but because just the act of stepping forward means, God, I'm going forward. It means I'm moving. I'm not staying where I normally stay. I'm not going to be the same person I normally am. I'm moving forward because I know that God is calling.